friend who I was worried had, had kind of disappeared, who we had been trying to track down for the last couple days, called, and the opportunity to pray with him and bless him and some of the folks uh, that have been caring for him and wrapping their arms around him to see them being able to respond and step back in and love. And, and then at the same time, there was um, a group of people who were running uh, in a, a, uh, a fall festival for foster families in our city, just an opportunity, a little reprieve, a respite to step out of the normal routine and just be blessed and be in an environment that is safe where the language is safe for, for kids who are in foster care. And, and it was like 180 people like showed up to that. And I, I just thought just in this, like this all happened within basically the same time frame. And so as neat as this all is, it was such a, a moment for me to look at my phone and see these texts line up, this conversation, this event taking place, these people who are here. And I, it, it, it catches me off guard every once in a while where that tear kind of forms in your eye and you're like, oh yeah, this is just another day at church, right? This is the most normal thing imaginable. I don't wanna sensationalize any of that. This is just what we do, right? Right? This is what, right? This is what we do. If you're brand new with us, there you go, there's our like vision state, that, that. There, there's the best picture of us. We're just trying to make sense in all the messy ways, all the ways we get it wrong, all the ways we're jacked up and messed up. We're just trying to do our best to join God in the renewal of all things. William Booth, uh, I know who William Booth is, started the Salvation Army. Um, Salvation Army, by the way, when it started, was not a, uh, a thrift shop for, uh, for hipsters. Um, you may not be aware of that. Uh, the Salvation Army is known for being one of the largest distributors of humanitarian aid. Uh, in 2002, Booth was actually named one of the 100 greatest Britons. He he's, is this giant of the faith. Um, and their mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. I love that. So as he's coming to the end of his life, he preaches this address He's kind of wrapping up his last campaign around Europe. And he has sight only in one eye. He later found out that there was an infection that would cause him to lose his sight completely. This is what he says when asked about this. He says, God knows best. I have done what I could for God and the people with my eyes. Now I must do what I can for God and the people without them. And then he goes on in his speech to say this. While women weep as they do now, I will fight. While children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out as they do now, I will fight. While there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. I don't name sermons very often, but if I was going to name this one, I just want to just name it like Fight Club. No, I'll fight. Ephesians 4.1, Roosevelt read for us. Therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. One uh, transliteration says this. In light of all of this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, prisoner of Jesus, this is written by a man named Paul, who quite literally was locked up for declaring Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. He's in prison, 
And so he's using this prisoner language going, I am literally a prisoner of the Lord, and so should you be. He's a little preacher move. He says, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet run on the road that God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. J.P. Phillips' translation says, as God's prisoner then, I beg you to live lives worthy of your high calling. This book of Ephesians, which is a letter written to one of these outposts of love and grace, this beginning of the church, he begins the letter telling them who they already are. It's like he holds up a mirror to this community and says, you are loved, saved, forgiven, shifted from death to life. He's like, you've been reconciled, you've been grafted in, adopted. He's using all of this language to let them know this is who you are because of what he has done. And then he shifts in the letter, and this is the shift. Therefore, therefore, I urge you, because you are loved, saved, redeemed, have no fear of death, I beg you, I beg you, live lives worthy of this high calling that I just spent some time talking about. I beg you, I beg you, I urge you, the word here, we're going to do a little word study, is parakaleo. Can you all say parakaleo? Bible nerds out there may know that this word also gets associated with the Holy Spirit being the comforter, but that's a different sermon I don't have time to give. This word, the way it's used in context, so the way you make sense of how you best understand a word, how they translate words, a lot of times they look at where else is it used in scripture, but often they're looking at other literature around that time. So this is a real letter written in a real place in a city of Ephesus. And so scholars will look around and go, where else is this word used and how is it used? Because it will help us make sense of, of what he's really getting at. I want to share a couple examples with you. This word is used for, one, exhorting troops who are about to go into battle. Uh, one one uh, reference I'm not going to give these references because I don't say Greek names very well. He says of the ship sailing into battle, this one writer says, the long galleys cheered, which is parakaleo, each other line by line. Another account describes the plans for battle and says, so did they hail him, them, cheering them to fight. Another writer uses it for urging soldiers to embark upon the ships and to set out on an adventurous voyage. See where I'm going here, right? Another writer says that it addresses the troops before a naval battle with the Carthaginian. I forget it, I'm out. He, used, he uses it of Demetrius rallying his men and addressing the ranks before they embarked upon the battle. Again and again, here's the point. We find that this word is like a rallying call. It's a word used in speeches of leaders and soldiers to urge one another on. One writer says, Barclay says, it is the word used of words which send fearful and hesitant soldiers courageously into battle. I know using a metaphor like this gets a, a little slippery, especially as followers of Jesus, because we are, enemy lovers, right? We're called to love our enemy and lay down our life for our enemy. 
But battle language and fight language is real in the scripture. And Paul tells us our battle is not against what? Flesh and blood. It's not people, but against the principalities and powers, the broken systems of oppression and the evil that we see around us. And yes, we are followers of Jesus. So we literally believe in the devil himself. The principalities and powers and the brokenness we see around, this is our fight. So this is all fighting language. I urge you, the context for this is calling soldiers into battle, making sure they have what they need to go, to live a life worthy of the call. So what is the call? Let's do a little recap of our basic theology here. So what's the call? You're here right now. We believe that something about this letter that was written to this peop these people in Ephesus has something to do with us now right here on this date in this gathered community. So let's hear these words from Paul. I urge you, sanctuary, live a life worthy of the calling. I urge you, I beg you, live a life worthy of the high calling that you've received. What's the call? Turn with me if you have your Bibles with you to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That's good. Is that good? That's what we believe about the world. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is invitational language. We are being invited into a story, to a work, to a movement. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you you want to know what that word implore is? Parakaleo. You guys are tracking. I love this. People had coffee this morning. We implore you. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is fighting language. The ambassadors, the people, the God was going to make his appeal through you, the stay-at-home parent. Yes, you, the person who can't afford rent. Yes, you, the university professor. Yes, you, go down the line, the barista at a coffee shop. And the urge is like, I urge you, I beg you, be reconciled to God. Like, know who you are. Like, trust me, it's a better way to live, to live like you know that you're loved. Like, it's a better way to live, to know that you, you don't need to fear death. It's a better way to live, to not be anxious, to be a generous person, to walk in the way of Jesus. And not just in the way, but right, empowered by the true king. I beg you. I urge you. It's almost like, so he's, like, like he's saying, uh, fight. Fight for it. Just an aside, for those of you who are struggling with your faith, like fight for it, fight for it. When that doubt creeps in, Paul's saying, I urge you, be reconciled to God, fight for it. Everyone goes through like dark nights of the soul, fight for it, fight for it. Your faith is worth fighting for. So this has been the vision from the beginning. 
to make Jesus followers, to demonstrate and announce the good news that Jesus is king. This is the mission. What's the call? Live a life worthy of the call. I urge you, live a life worthy of the high calling that you have. We could go in a lot of different directions for the high calling, but today it's simply there. What's the call? God's going to make his appeal through you. Through you. Is anyone like not, not a big, like, like wondering whether God like has a bad idea here? Does anyone question God's like design of his plan in this moment? This is, God's going to make his appeal through, yes, you. Yes, you. The person in here, I know there's a number of you who, who are like incredibly, you are in like an insecure place with your housing. Through you. God is making his appeal through those that are reconciled to God. Through you. Through your life. And let's be honest, your life is often what? Laundry. Anyone, if they would describe their life right now, it would be Laundry. Anyone describe their life right now? It would be cubicle. Anyone? Anyone describe their life right now? It would be meaningless coursework. You guys are all doing great. Like life is the details. Life is the everyday. Life is putting your shoes on in the morning and taking the garbage out when you get back. Life is scrambling to find a job. Life is trying to figure out whether she likes you. She doesn't. She's just being nice. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Through you. The call is through you. Colossians 3.17. I know we know this verse. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do. Apparently there's a way to live a life in which it's all sacred and it's all holy, even the mundane. It's all on fire. There's something like... There's some way in all of this to be aware and dialed into the goodness. Live a life worthy of the calling. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, as Christ's ambassadors, God's making his appeal through your daily life. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name, we've talked about this too. This is like the character of God. When we say the name of Jesus, when we sing, Jesus, Jesus, you make the dark... It's not like if we just say the name of Jesus, it's like, like some like incantation we're casting. No, we're saying that character, that God of the promise, that God who fights for us, that God. Do it all in the character, in the spirit, in the way of Jesus. All of it. Do it all. It all matters. It can all be done in a way that brings light and life, and we need everyone. We need everyone. We need those of you who recently have just come to the way of Jesus. I've shared stories of some of the most powerful moments of seeing the way of Jesus go forward and people like come alive in God's love have been from people who are basically heretics because they just don't know anything. Like brand new to the way of Jesus. Jesus does not download like doctrine to your mind when you become a name of Jesus, become a follower of Jesus. I've told the story a thousand times, but I just always have to. My friend who becomes a follower of Jesus at URI in a sorority, 
And like three weeks later, she's got half her sorority. It's like 20 girls showing up to a, a college fellowship event. I swear to you, Jill, there's nothing good about her understanding of God other than God loves me and he's real and I felt it and you guys should check this out. Everything else was just awful. God will use every single one of us. He needs all of us in the game. And honestly, this is, is what the troublesome reality is, what happens so often in a church. I'll, I'll illustrate this through this. There's this movie that came out, I don't know if anyone's seen it, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Basically, the editor-in-chief of this very famous magazine suffered a stroke, and he, he lapses into a coma. He woke 20 days later. He's mentally aware of his surroundings, but physically he's paralyzed with what is known as locked-in syndrome. So the only exception is he has some movement in one of his eyes. His right eye had been sewn up due to a problem, so he ends up, get this, the book is about, he writes an entire book. He writes an entire book by blinking his left eyelids. It took 10 months, four hours a day, using this like partner-assisted scanning thing. He writes a book, and he can move nothing. He is sitting there, limp, with one eye, and he blinks his way into a book. I wonder if at times this is what Jesus feels like. The imagery we have of the church is the body of Christ. We need every ligament. We need hands and thumbs and elbows and hair. We need it all working. And I just wonder sometimes if we're to be the body of Jesus, the manifest presence of Jesus in the world, you got Jesus going, well, I mean, he's God, so I can use an eye to write a book. But wouldn't it be a whole lot easier if we had more body parts functioning? It would be a whole lot better if we had a little more going on. He wants us in the fight. He wants every one of us in the fight. Turn with me to Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. He's trying to give us a big picture of what we're doing here. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, I, my initial thought with this sermon was I was gonna give the first sermon that I gave on our launch Sunday seven and a half years ago. I was just going to give it because it, it maps perfectly on to where we're going. But this was the, I didn't end up doing that, but this is the passage that, that was centered around. And we've read this so many times at our different, at our congregations, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. In this passage, we get language, the reason why God gave us the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the teachers, the reason why. We have these, these people in these leadership places, these people with these gifts, which, by the way, are available to everyone. It's so that the body can be equipped. The body can be equipped for works of service. Like the reason why, one way to put it, is like you have paid staff is so you can equip, equip the people to, to actually be in a game. The coaching staff and the cheerleaders and the medical community and the coaches, everybody on the sideline are here to equip the team to, to, to play the game, that we are all called to be ministers. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you're thinking about getting involved with full-time vocational ministry, too late. When we started our church, we handed out blank business cards that just had the word minister underneath it. And we just said, welcome to the staff. 
You may reject this idea, have like allergies about this idea, feel like I have way too much doubt and way too much sin and way too many issues. And I am, you have no idea what happened last night and why I looked the way that I looked this morning. Some of you look haggard. And yet the invitation is, is to go and be ambassadors. God's going to make his appeal through you. And it's, it's, it's the way, the job of the church and the leaders in the community to equip you. Anyone ever been ill-equipped for something? Anyone not had what you needed? This word equip in this passage has everything to do with like a general preparing an army for battle. This is not quite on the same tip of that, but... Uh, but two years ago, uh, a few friends of mine, we all went camping. I don't know how many people like to camp in here. I do like to camp. I just don't go camping often. I like to think, like, I'm pretty good at, like, setting a fire up. But I don't really have, like, the supplies that I need. And I, I realized this. This came into a very sharp focus one day where I went up with a couple of friends camping. It was going to rain. We knew it was going to rain. So I brought a tarp. It wasn't a very good tarp. I brought a tarp. Had a tent. I saw the word water on it. I assumed it meant waterproof. It wasn't waterproof, water resistant. Got up there. There was a long, long uh, story why this had to happen, but it was the weekend, and I actually had to come back down and be here to preach that Sunday morning. It's a long story. So early in the morning, we were up in New Hampshire, Vermont. I turned, got in the car, <clears throat> drove three hours or something downtown, preached, turned around, went back up to meet my friends. It was a long weekend. We are going to stay through Monday. Super excited about this. It had been pouring most of the day. <clears throat> On the way up, I get a call. I get pictures from my wife. My wife is in the tent. My wife sort of likes to camp. I'd say she's probably more of a glamper than a camper. Any glampers over campers in the room? Anyone never go anywhere near the woods at all? You're like, forget this. Yeah, so I'm on my way up, and um, she proceeds to tell me... Um, that she is in a couple inches of water in the tent. We have a, I believe Rowan, our youngest, was three months old, four months old, maybe a little older than that. It's freezing. And on my way up, as I'm driving up, I'm so anxious to get back up there, slash I'm pretending I'm in a music video and like blasting music as loud as I can on my drive up. Uh, we had just gotten uh, this automobile uh, that doesn't have a very like, great gas gauge, and then all of a sudden I uh, noticed the car was puttering out. And um, so here I was on the side of the road, having run out of gas with my wife in a tent filled with water. Let me just have, I'll just have her tell the story. I'll just have her tell the story. There is a huge puddle underneath our, our tent. Where it's pouring. We can't sit in this tent tonight. No. No. Uh, that's right. So we're figuring out what's what we're gonna do. Andrew went down to church this morning to preach. So he left at six in the morning, and he still isn't back because <laughs> the car ran out of gas. So then he was stranded on the side of the road coming home. And then in the meantime, whew, our tent flooded. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's our quick little update. Curly hair, curly hair. But Harper has curly hair. Yeah, Harper was really excited about her curly so, hair. That's awesome. Um, so, I, I don't know about you, but if... You, <laughs> 
And the video's upside down. It's the best. If you're going to go out and step in to, 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 to battle, <laughs> do we have what we need? Do we have what we need? And if we're going to be a community that equips each one of us to go and to be ambassadors, as so God we're making his appeal through us to fight the fights that we are invited to in to fight, then... Um, we, we as leaders need to go further than we've gone before. No strategy will reach every kind of person except a strategy that mobilizes every kind of person. Our friend Brian Sanders said that. He was here a few weeks ago. No strategy will reach every kind of person except the strategy that mobilizes every kind of person. And we want to get out of the way and do what we can structurally do to empower those who have a call on their life to start something, to be a part, a deeper part of the movement of God. The elders, the leaders, Pastor Sarah and Rick and I and so many of you, we believe there is so much latent energy in this church. You know, the number one transportation company in the world owns no vehicles. The number one lodging company in the world owns, owns no buildings. And the number one content distributor in the world owns no content. Facebook, Uber, and Airbnb. These companies knew that there was latent energy, that people would be willing to open their homes. They had this sense and grew to the biggest company in the world, that people would be willing to rent out their cars and play taxi for other people. i got to be honest, if someone would have came to me with that idea, I would have been like, that's the dumbest idea, and no one's going to do it. There was latent potential and latent energy, and what they did was they cast the sails to catch it. So I'll, he's already here. I want to welcome up Pastor Ricky to kind of do the honors of sharing a bit of what we are dreaming up. Thank you, Andrew. See, so yeah, in regards to what Andrew was just saying and leading up to our mission, um, we talk about it a lot, but I just want to remind you, we are repenting of the church model that we've all inherited in the Western church, where a lot of it basically is this temple theology in the Old Testament, right? So even in the offering, I don't know if other churches you've been a part of, I'm not trying to diss all the other churches in the world, but I might be dissing some of them, where um, the, the analogy is we are building up the temple, we're storing up and storing the acorns in the, you know, in the storehouses, we're building the barn, but like, do you have a barn, Andrew? I don't, you have a barn? I don't have a barn. Some of you might have a barn, but we're not like, that's not what we're doing here. We're not like storing things in a barn. We actually don't have a temple. Uh, our parishes actually rent on Sunday mornings, for an example. We're renting the space. I rent a gym. They're like half of what other churches spend across the board. Anyways, uh, the Old Testament was like this temple and building the temple. The New Testament, Jesus comes and he says, he's like not in the temple a lot. He comes and like drops something really awesome. Then he goes and lives a life before everyone. And he feeds the poor and he raises the dead and he delivers the demon possessed and he cares for people and he lifts up women. And then he leaves and says, I'm with you. You are the church. Go, go. I'm with you to the end of the age. So, you are the temple. We're not asking you as our model to just come and build what we're doing. What we're saying is we are now putting some very intentional structures to what we've always said, that you get us, our time, our money, the structures that we are building, so you will be the church throughout the week. Amen? 
We're not asking you to come to a temple. We're not asking you to come to church. We're asking you to come on Sundays that we still have so you are equipped and empowered to go be the church. And then during the week, us as pastors and our resources are there for you to meet you where you're at to be the church where you're at. Amen? So we ask this question, how can we better help this movement of Jesus followers in Providence be the church? Not just like individual little churches, but a network of smaller expressions of church. So part of it is, we've always used this language of an outpost. Andrew's done this from the beginning. We are clarifying that definition of outpost, and what an outpost, outpost looks like for you. So an outpost is what we call the most basic expression of the church, right? When you, the followers of Jesus, work together with our withward value, in sincere worship, our upward value, with care for one another, our inward value, to accomplish part of the mission of God, which is outward value, you are the church. You are the church. So what does this look like? Many of our home groups already look like that, right? You're worshiping God. You're in community together. You're there for each other and for the needs, and you're on mission with God. You're already an outpost. You're already an expression of the smaller church. But how many of you were at our conference, what it was like a month ago? How many were at the conference? Out of that, right, Pastor Andrew and Sarah unrolled this plan of like start something, right? And like telling you that our money is set aside and our resources and our time. Right? We even like all have this whole thing set where our calendars are now arranged where you can pick a time for us to meet with you and to coach you with what you're dreaming about, what you want to start. So some of that's going to be unraveled after, right, in a little bit. You're going to hear some more details about that. But since the conference, 11 new things have been created or talked about. 11. One of them was like uh, what many of you are already part of is a home group in Newport. And so the people that are starting this home group in Newport texted Andrew this. So, quote, I have to say Newport Wickford group has been so incredible. Three people there last night that are seeking, people having hands laid on them for healing, tears, and fervent prayer. The immediate intimacy and comfort in the group is evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence and blessing. So very grateful to have had it take shape so quickly. Just want to send a huge thanks to you and Sarah for facilitating it and putting together these great guides for us to gather around. Jesus is at work. New group in Newport. Yeah, give a hand. There's many of these, but I just want to share a couple of the examples. A new thing that is starting is called Wood and Wave. And what this is going, yeah, is uh, cultivating the imaginations of youth and young adults through the outdoors in Richmond. So basically it's surfing and hiking for Jesus and getting troubled youth out there and getting out into the woods and be able to experience these things, have fellowship, have mentors, experience Jesus. Amen? Amen. Another one's Valiant Arts. So way before we're doing this, Claude Michelle has bravely um, started her whole, this whole dance company, this whole ministry where she has her own studio in Pawtucket. And uh, very specifically what she does, and she can say it a lot better than me, so forgive me, Claude Michelle. But she spends all of her time after her, like, three jobs and getting a master's degree, she spends, <laughs> occasionally showing up for some worship, she gives all her time to empower young women that live in the city to dance for, like, a very affordable price, to learn how to express themselves artistically. She puts on a big show that our church at Sanctuary North helps facilitate and give her a building to. Um, we come alongside her with that. She gets help with that. But she has had that before we even talking today. She's done this for years but has this whole thing in ministry where she's empowering women in the arts. Can you give her a hand? Yeah.
Another one is Bible and Brew. No, I did not start this, but dang, I wish it was my idea. This is Mike Valdez. This is what he says about it. What we're simply doing, we're having a Bible study at a bar. Our desire is to create a safe third place where people can encounter the love of Jesus free from judgment. We want to reach those who have no idea who Jesus is, those who want to know Jesus but have been burned by the church, and those who know Jesus but aren't satisfied with their relationship and they want more. If you or someone you know is looking for some, someone to do that at the bottom of a glass, come check it out with him. All right? Give Mike a hand. And then finally, please, Andrew, if you want to add to this one, uh, wrap around. So there are a group of our people. I think a big part of it's on the east side, right? Lordy Pilato and Emily and Sia. They've just been hustling for months, and they have this dream of coming alongside all the foster parents in Rhode Island. So they threw this huge event yesterday, and I wasn't there, so I feel like it's cheaply for me to talk about it. Andrew, can you talk about it for a moment? Yeah, just real quickly, it's an amazing thing, and those of you who run an organization, uh, those of you who uh, try to lead any kind of group of people, when you walk into a space and you don't know what's going on, you, like, like, you, you are just there to be put to work, and you look around and you go, this is amazing, what a win for the kingdom, and I had zero part of any of this. This is what happened. Next big slide. There's 180 people, this is not counting volunteers or sanctuary families, 180 plus folks who are foster families, that's some kids and foster parents who came out for an afternoon of fun connected with this village organization that, in DCYF that we're working with. This is the beginning, this is amazing. You can keep scrolling through here. Incredible, one of the most like diverse rooms I have seen, not just ethnically, but socioeconomically. And to watch even some of our kids uh, go and serve and play alongside other kids. It was just this safe and amazing place that is the beginning in so many ways I don't have time to get into. Going to be a jump off for some ministry that is going to affect what is one of the biggest crises in our city. This is one of the biggest crises in our city. I was told by one of the doctors in our community the other day that there was how many, see, there's 10, 12 kids that were sitting in the waiting room, something like that. There's literally nowhere for them to go, not an orphanage, nothing. They were sitting there waiting. And so this group is committed to not only providing wraparound care for families, but to help empower more of us to get involved in this. Just an incredible thing. And there's one other one was uh, Athletes in Action. There's over 30 folks showed up recently, over 30 folks to Elizabeth Achilles' house. And so we are helping her take this thing further, helping get her funding. She's going to run a baptism at her house for these Brown University female students. You want to know how many came to Jesus in the last month and a half? Twelve. Twelve. Twelve Brown University female athletes. Unbelievable. She, we keep joking, her church is outrunning the east side, the Athletes in Action Church. That's awesome. Can you give everyone a hand for things being started, things being done? I just want to wrap up, and Andrew's going to come back, but I want to share with you that my three years here have been so uh, amazing. I felt so free to be able to do what I feel called to do, right? Uh, and I'm on this north side, a couple miles away from you here, but like coming alongside a local school, being a part of the local park. Uh, we had this opportunity yesterday to have the mayor uh, over for coffee for a moment, and um, he just wanted to hear from the community. He wanted to hear the needs. He wanted to answer our problems. And um, it was so refreshing for him to speak and for me to actually hear, like, he sees us as a church, not just north. He knows sanctuary. It's not just about, like, oh, who's the big shot, who has the power in the city, he knows it. But there's a trust and a respect that we actually are for the city. We actually love the city, serve the city. 
And so even from government officials, they know that we are here for them and loving them and serving them. And there's something beautiful in that. There's something beautiful in that. So wrapping up in this, um, we believe that people make up the church, not buildings or budgets. And when you guys, you followers, come together and worship in community to be the mission of the church, this is what we're here for. So what I want to clearly say to you and commit to you, us as pastors, is that our time, our money, our energy, and our resources are yours and are for you. So when you go out of here today, we're with you during the week to help show you what you're thinking about, to help guide you what the Lord's leading you into, to help you realize your calling, and for you to be the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Andrew. Amen. Bringing greater structural intentionality to our vision from day one that we would be an equipping church. That's what this moment is. Bringing greater structural intentionality to the vision that we are to equip those to be the church. While women weep as they do now, I'll fight, Booth writes. While children go hungry as they do now, he writes. While there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I will fight. Church, this is a time where I want to urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have. I do not need, I'm assuming, to recite recent news events. I do not need, I'm assuming, to talk to many of you about the issues that our country in particular is facing, that our city, that our neighborhoods are facing. But we can go down the list, can't we? We could talk about race. We could talk about the patriarchy. We could talk, and I can go down the line of the systems of oppression that we see in our world. We can look around us and see the disconnect that exists with family. We can look around and see the loss of life and culture that is around the way of Jesus. The kingdom of God didn't look like Rome in the third century. It was peculiar. When we say the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, heaven on earth, the way of Jesus, it didn't look like Rome in the third century. And it didn't look like England in the 19th century. And it didn't look like France in the 17th century. And church, the kingdom of God doesn't look like America in the 21st century. I mean, no offense, I'm just pointing out reality. And so what does it mean for us to be this peculiar, loving, gracious, beautiful people who bear witness because we do so love our neighbors and we do so love our friends and we do so love our streets that we would be a creative minority bearing witness to the good news and having influence because we are known by our love, the kingdom of God looks like Jesus, healing the sick, feeding the poor, forgiving the sinner, and raising the dead. So do we have what we need for the fight? Do we have what we need for the fight? I don't know. That's what we're going to do in a minute. John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool 
called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. There's all these disabled people who were there. One who had been there in, in invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get healed? Do you want to get healed? Luke 5, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him in. Then the Greek, it's literally they de-roofed the roof. On that mat, through the tiles, in the middle of the crowd, and they dropped their friend through the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, Jesus saw their faith, and he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Matthew 8, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. This is a soldier of oppression of the Jewish people. He is not on the inside of the tribe. He's asking for help. He says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come over under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. He's a soldier with soldiers under me. In other words, he, know, he knew, he had the sense of where real authority came from. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. An outsider, enemy, Roman oppressor amazed the son of God. Let's just fit that on your flannel graph. Truly I, tell, or, sorry, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go and let it be done just as you believed. He saw his faith. You have such great faith. Acts 1, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. His disciples, before you go out, before you go be the church, before you make disciples, before you demonstrate and announce the good news of God's love and his kingship, before you go, wait. This is an active waiting, we read later. Wait. The apostles then returned to the Jerusalem. They went up to the upper room, and they all joined together constantly in prayer. Their prayer they're praying, they're praying, and then God sends a spirit. I list these four passages, why? Jesus responds and encourages faith and hunger. Do you want to be healed? He saw their faith. They're waiting in the upper room. Don't leave Jerusalem until. These are stories about desire. These are stories about wanting it. I want it so bad I'm pulling my shirt. I want it. Jesus is inviting people into their deepest longings and their deepest callings. He's inviting you into your deepest longings and your deepest callings. Here's my point. He sees their hunger and faith and he responds. He rewards the fighters. He's going to give power to the ones who want it. I'm not saying he can't give power to those who don't want it. And yes, there are examples. But as far as what we can do... The ones who want it, the ones who make space, the ones who draw near, the ones who inconvenience themselves for the sake of the mission. Hey, I'd really love to just go home and get some food. Now, I'm going to hang in the upper room for weeks on end. Because I'm going to take care of the groceries. We're just going to stay here and we're going to pray because we're supposed to wait until we go. He saw their faith. They ripped open a roof and dropped their friend in. He's like, whoo! 
I wouldn't have gone that route. You could have just tapped me on the shoulder. I would have waited for you. Okay. He saw their faith and he responded. A sick person at the pool, Jesus has the audacity to ask, do you want to be healed? Of course he does. But, but, but the, the, the man immediately responds, well, I, I can't do, well, there's all these superstitious things that I'm supposed to do and I can't do any of them. Jesus immediately sees his hunger. I see that you want it. And you're engaged in all this super, you want it. You're hungry, you're hungry. Draw near to me, the scriptures say, and I will draw near to you. Sit back, hang back, and let somebody else do the job for you, and God will show up. Not in the Bible. I'll fight. The fight is joining the God of the universe and putting everything back together. That's what's on the top of our, our, our business card. That's what's on the top of the resume. That's what we have been doing. And I know we say this stuff week in and week out. And so this new era of our church is simply saying, hey, we want to we wanna go further. We want to go further. The fight. The fight. So fight for your family. Fight for your faith. Fight for your community. Fight for your city. And to do that, we need the God who fights for us. And so our questions today are, what do you need from God? This is how we're ending our time. What do you need from God? He's asking you. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be empowered? Do you want to be called? Do you? You can respond. I'm not trying to like conjure a response. I just mean like, do you? Do we want to go further? Some of you are in your call, in your sweet spot. You've been in it. Do you want more? What do you need? What do you need? God wants to give. He wants to pour it out. He's making his appeal through you. He's going to give you what you need. He's going to give you what you need. Do you want to pick it up? You don't have to. You don't have to. But I'm telling you, sitting back and riding out some sort of like Christianity as lifestyle obsession is not going to do it. Do you want it? And some of you really want it. You're here in this room today because you're like, you're like, I don't even know if I believe any of this. I came clearly on the weirdest Sunday. I'm brand new to the way of Jesus. Just you being in this room is that. Jesus sees your faith. You just put yourself into an awkward situation walking into a building like this. Amen. Do you want to be healed? Is today the day you're going to go, yeah, yeah, there's something happening in my heart. There's something happening in my heart. Do you, are we going to be a church with power? In Acts 3, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up. That was a disciple who said that. He said, I don't have a ton of money. I don't have clever resources. What I do have is uh, get up and walk. In the early church, they didn't have silver and gold, but they had power. I don't want to be a part of a movement where the reverse is true. So let's pray. This is the invitation. We're going to go old school. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. What does it look like for you? I know life is laundry. I know there's those daily tasks of just what it means to be faithful with the little things that we have. Right? Our sphere of concern is way bigger than our sphere of influence. What is God calling you to do? Where's God calling you to step up? Maybe you're not called to start something, but you need some healing in life for the journey to join up with something God's doing. So here's the ask. There's, there's prayer folks who are up front right now. There's oil here. 
Oil, just this symbol of God's presence and anointing with you. Come and be anointed. Come and be, come and, and, and pray and be prayed for. Come and just fill the front. I know it's awkward climbing over people. They're fine. You can choose whether you give them the front or the back, whatever you want. And then as you come out, as just a symbol and as a sign that I need, I need you, Lord. I have this thing in my heart. I know for some of you, some of you have amazing things that God's about to like big birds in your life. He's, he's breaking some things out. He's got some call. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at, at Rick's kids in the front row right now. And I'm just thinking like the influence that you guys have in your school. Like is, is for real. Like what is God asking of you and how you can love and bless and serve and heal and care? I don't know what it is, but I bet it's something moderately okay because you guys are sort of dead average people. I bet it's something amazing. Like what, what, Angel, I don't know what, what he's got for you. Anthony, what's he got for you? What's he doing in our heart? What for some of you, you just like, I would love to know if any of this is really true. Come forward and say, I, 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 I wanna be healed. I wanna know the truth. I wanna be empowered. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. I beg you. You've been called to so much joy and richness and beauty and life. Will you fight for your family? Will you fight for your neighborhood? Will you fight for the people who are hurting around you? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. There is latent energy in this room, Lord. So come forward. We're going to sing. Just literally, just if you want to come and be prayed for. You can come and kneel and come and sit. Maybe just come and be anointed with oil as this sign, but come. Don't leave yet. We're going to then announce some what we're doing. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Come. Come. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we are asking for healing. We want to be equipped. And we know, Lord, that you, um, you see our faith. And so this is a pretty small faith just to get, I guess, to get up and stand up. But it's something, Lord. It's a, this act. Take it, Lord, I pray, as just a, a, a sign of, of, of our desire to move forward you in faith. To rip open the roof. To rip open the roof. To come as an enemy of you like the centurion. To wait and pray and contend before we are sent out on mission in the upper room. We want to be healed and we want to be equipped and we want to be empowered and we want to know your life. And so, Lord, we come forward together. We come forward and we pray and we sing for a few minutes longer, Lord, because we know, I know, Lord, that in your economy, in your economy, the best is ahead. In Jesus' name, everyone said, the fight starts here. Come, let's pray. Let's be anointed.